Good morning and welcome to another 12 Stone Spirituality Podcast. My name's Stephen Ingram and I am so glad that you are with me today. Uh, it's been a, a couple of weeks since I've uh, done the podcast. Um, it's not that I've forgotten about it or, or just didn't want to do it. <clears throat> uh, some changes uh, in my life, some exciting new good changes. Uh, started um, a new job. Uh, I'd been at my uh, uh, old church position for nine years and had just an, an incredible run and uh, just a, a really, really incredible ministry experience at that church. And then after nine years, <clears throat> it became time to do the next thing. And so uh, about two weeks ago, I started uh, full-time with my consulting work. And I've, I've been doing the consulting work for around seven years. Uh, and then uh, uh, that became the next right thing for me to do. Uh, so uh, I spent a couple of weeks getting that set up and, and uh, getting going with that. Uh, already have had two trips. Went to Greenville, South Carolina to do some work with the church there. And then just this past weekend, <clears throat> I was in San Antonio, Texas, uh, working with just an incredible church called St. Paul's Episcopal Church uh, in San Antonio, uh, working with them, helping to uh, focus in their vision, set goals and benchmarks, and just do some uh, really, really good work with a really incredible church uh, there in San Antonio. So I took a couple of weeks, uh, took a couple of weeks to uh, breathe in what was new, uh, to, to make sure that I was uh, in that game, and uh, and also just to give myself some time to <clears throat> reflect on uh, the experience that I had just completed. So, uh, but I'm back and uh, very, very excited to be back uh, doing the podcast. Uh, and today's podcast, episode number eight, is called Reluctant Kings, Pebbles, and Permission Slips. So, it's no surprise, uh, I'm not telling you anything new, that the world, as of March 13th, 2017, is a very, very interesting place. And especially if you live in the United States, um, our world, our more contextual world, what's happening in our country... Uh, especially what's happening in our country since uh, the November election. Uh, there is a renewed sense of we have something to do. There's a renewed sense of <clears throat> we have a cause. We have many causes. We have work to do. Uh, I am hearing and seeing a renewed sense, and maybe not even renewed, maybe a first-time sense in people that they uh, are, are feeling called to step out, to go and do something new, to create, to resist, to push, to hold accountable. And so that's what today's podcast is about. I remember several, several years ago, uh, my wife... Mary Liz, who is just an incredible artist, was, I can't remember if we were having a conversation or we had read something on the internet. <clears throat> what I do remember was it was early on 
uh, or just before, sorry, just before, uh, maybe three years before the Marriage Equality uh, Act came into place, where LGBTQ uh, persons were allowed to uh, get married. And it was, like I said, it was several years before that. And she uh, is an artist. And I came in one day and she had drawn on just a a small three by three uh, piece of uh, pastel board, uh, a marriage equality equal sign. Just the red background, the white equal sign. Um, and she had drawn it on that on that piece of um, pastel board. And I came in. I said, "What? What? What is this?" And she said, "I uh, I just I just drew it. I just felt like I needed to draw this." I said, "Well, that's cool. That's that's awesome." I said, "That looks good. What are you gonna What are you gonna do with it?" And she said, "I don't know. I just I just needed to draw it, and so I drew it." And <clears throat> she and I have both been. Um, big advocates for marriage equality for years. And uh, so it wasn't surprising that she drew it from uh, a point of understanding her perspective or her opinion on it. But her the way she has always gone about her uh, advocacy or protest or, or, or whatever, you know, in terms of her public um, output, it has always been through conversations with people. And so her art uh, all of a sudden began to be a piece of this. And so uh, <clears throat> a couple of days later, I see that she has done a blog post on her art blog with this equal sign, with this marriage equality sign. And uh, that's a big deal for her uh, because she, uh, she does so much good in the world. But it's always on a personal basis. It's always been on a personal basis because she uh, has never been one that has invited controversy. She's never been one that's invited people to, uh, you know, to get into arguments or, or to, you know, to push or anything like that <clears throat> in a public way. It's always been through relationships and through conversations. And it was this beautiful blog post uh, about how she just can't be silent. Uh, anymore. And, and that was a, I mean, it was a huge stepping out for her. And uh, it was incredible to see how this small piece of art, this small piece of protest, this small piece of advocacy uh, just went around. Um, so many people were taking it and using it as their profile picture. Uh, I saw it on a couple different websites. I mean, it was so cool. Uh, how she, this one small three by three piece of pastel art um, began to spark so much in so many people. Uh, I think it surprised her too. She just put it out there because it was the next right thing to do. And, uh, and, And so she did. And it became something very special. It became something very special, not just because it was getting hits uh, all over the place, not just because it was being shared all over the place. It became something special because she began to hear from people how much they appreciated her public voice, how much they appreciated her standing up uh, in in a public forum in, in a very public way. 
What's interesting is we often forget the power of standing up in public. We often forget how powerful it is for others to see us stand up. Now, I don't think that's because we we don't understand uh, the value of of public uh, protest or public advocacy. I don't. I, we all know the value, but more times than not, I think we underestimate the power of our own voice. I think we underestimate the power of our own stance and standing up from our context, our place in the world. If you don't know who Dorothy Day is, <clears throat> Dorothy Day uh, is a, uh, a pioneer for uh, human rights, human rights advocacy. Uh, back in the 30s, Dorothy Day led the Catholic Workers Movement. Uh, and this was a massive effort that she headed up, that she spearheaded uh, to create um, uh, better programs, to create, uh, well, to make sure people were fed, to make sure people had humanitarian needs, to make sure that people had rights. Um, she was an incredible social justice leader. One of the things she said, and I love this quote from her, she said, we have a big problem. But when we, weren't, when we warn our fellow workers to keep in mind the small things, we have a big problem, but we warn our fellow workers to keep in mind the small things. One of the reasons why I think we have such a difficult time sometimes standing up, speaking out, standing against, standing for is because the problem looks so big. The problem looks massive. When we look at things like healthcare, when we look at things like social injustices, civil rights, LGBTQ causes, when we look at these massive problems, and if you're on, if you're in certain camps, the problems are beginning to look bigger and bigger every day. When we look at those, it feels massive. It feels overwhelming. But Dorothy Day said we have a big problem. It wasn't like she was not facing gargantuan problems of her own. And she says, but we warn our fellow workers. They have to keep in mind the small things. Another way of saying that... <clears throat> And uh, a guy who I listen to a lot and who inspires me, Rob Bell, uh, will talk about, you just have to do the next right thing. Find the next right thing and do it. Find the next right thing and commit yourself to doing that and doing it well. Often when I think about social advocacy, when I think about social justice, uh, especially, obviously, when I think about the civil rights movement, I think of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, as you guys know, I live in Birmingham, Alabama, in the Deep South, one of the battlegrounds um, of the civil rights movement. Uh, Kelly Ingram Park, uh, one of the places where um, 
just uh, one of the most atrocious uh, police against protester uh, events happened. We're one of the most vile voices uh, against civil rights. Bull Connor uh, was the sheriff. Uh, Birmingham has a ton of history, and I and I live here, and so I'm I'm steeped in this. You, it's hard to go somewhere in downtown Birmingham and not see a civil rights um, uh, historical location. So when you think about Martin Luther King, you think about civil rights. You often think about Martin Luther King on the steps of the Washington Monument, on those steps giving that uh, historic and and according to historians, impromptu speech. Uh, he he just started to to riff uh, in this beautiful beautiful uh, uh, speech that will go down as one of the greatest speeches in history. Um, just flowed from his lips, and so when we think about the civil rights movement, when we think about Martin Luther King, that's the image that we have. We have this man who is standing there, surrounded. Uh, by his disciples, surrounded by the people who he is leading, speaking to thousands and thousands of people from the steps of one of the most historic monuments uh, in our country. It is big, it is grandiose, and it is completely overwhelming. But when we think about Martin Luther King, that image of this one man speaking this incredible speech in front of thousands and thousands of people. That's not the full story. In order to understand the story, you have to go back to his beginnings. See, what we forget is that Martin Luther King was reluctant to take up the mantle of leadership. He was reluctant to be the leader, the voice, the spokesperson for the civil rights movement. He was protesting against Vietnam. He was trying to be a pastor. He was trying to be a husband. He was trying to do what he believed was was expected of him. He was working. He was doing good. But he was so reluctant to be the leader, to be the spokesperson, the voice, of the civil rights movement. When the Montgomery boy, when the Montgomery bus boycott was first being thought about, uh, and, and, uh, protests against Jim Crow laws in Alabama were first being discussed. Uh, he was one of the people that they were trying to tap. He is one of the people that they were trying to uh, lean into and, and to encourage to be their spokesperson, to be their leader. And he didn't want to do it. He was not interested. Uh, He was trying to be uh, a pastor uh, there in Montgomery of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, He was young. Uh, He was only 25. He was only 25 years old, just married. And he was trying to do what he believed was expected of him. And then here's what happened. Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. One small act. One small act. She did the next right thing. And that sparked a movement. That sparked something 
uh, in this country. It propelled King into the spotlight. It propelled King into the leadership because he chose to do the next right thing. He chose to stand up against injustice. He chose to speak out and speak up. One small step, one right thing leads to another. It not only leads to another for the person um, doing it, but it leads to the to the next right step, to the next right thing, to the next right choice for other people as well. Now, <clears throat> we stand on the other side of history where the civil rights movement has happened. Now, we still have a long, long, long way to go. But we stand on the other side of history where uh, a major piece of the civil rights movement has taken place. What we don't realize, what we don't see is the other side of the civil rights movement, the the side of history before the civil rights movement. We don't see how huge of a mountain it was that people like King and Rosa Parks and Ralph Abernathy and John Lewis, we don't see how huge of a mountain it was that they were looking at, that they were wanting to move that they were wanting to flip. We don't understand that because we, un- unless you uh, are, are much older uh, than I am, you, you weren't alive during that time. You didn't feel the ramifications of that. But they were facing a monumental task. And they chose to take the next right step. King didn't say, well... Uh, I'll join the Montgomery bus boycott um, if you can go ahead and get me uh, booked for the steps of the Washington Monument. I don't even think that was in the purview. I don't even think that was in the plan. He just did the next right thing. He was reluctant, but he just did the next right thing. Rosa Parks sat. It's amazing to think how much of history was changed by one tiny minority woman just taking a seat. It wasn't a huge protest. It wasn't a huge speech. It wasn't anything crazy. It was a woman sitting there with dignity while she was barked at by her oppressors. She just took a seat. She did the next right thing. They both took the next right step in front of a huge mountain of hate and despair and anger and bigotry and injustice. There's this quote that's attributed to Confucius. It says, the person who moves a mountain begins by carrying away one small stone. The person who moves a mountain begins by carrying away one small stone. 
That's what's uh, that is what doing the next right thing is. It's picking up the next pebble and walking away with it, moving it, dismantling one small piece at a time. It's not a life full of of speeches from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It's not a life full of uh, giant protests. It's a life full of small steps. It's a life full of picking up small pebbles and moving them one at a time. (coughs) So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a few steps. I want to give you a few ideas on how you and I can look at a giant mountain, at many giant mountains that are standing in front of us. I want to give you a few small things to do to begin to dismantle those mountains, to begin to dismantle more mountains of bigotry and hatred and racism, to be able to dismantle mountains of poverty of injustice, to be able to dismantle mountains where CEOs of pharmaceutical companies and health insurance companies make millions of dollars while people die every day because they don't have proper coverage. Where injustice flows through our streets like an open sewer. I want to give you a few steps of what you can do. The first one is take one small, brave step. You don't have to be the one who organizes the protest. You don't have to be the one who writes the bill that's going to go to Congress that will change everything. You don't have to be the one giving the speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. All you have to do is to take one small, brave step. The person who moves a mountain begins by carrying away a pebble. So what is your small, brave step? What is your next right thing? Because that's all you need to do right now. Don't look down the road. Don't think 10 years from now what you have to do, what the final goal is. You look in front of you and say, okay, I have decisions. I have things I can do. So what's the next brave step? For some of you, it might be sharing a post. I know that sounds trite. I know that sounds small. But for some of you, it might be just retweeting a tweet that you know some people are going to be angry at, that you know is going to put you into awkward conversations with friends or with family. It might just be clicking a share button. I know we talk about social media activism or slacktivism and things like that, but, but it does matter. Your voice matters. What is it? for you to take that next one small, brave step? Is it having a conversation with a friend? 
Is it having a conversation with an enemy? Is it writing something? Is it drawing something? For Mary Liz, my wife, it, that next small brave step was to take a three by three piece of chalk pastel card and to do a very simple yet meaningful drawing. Is the next small brave step a piece of art? Is it a poem? Is it a song? Is it a conversation? Is it a post? Is it going to the next rally, to the next protest, to the next march? What is that next one small brave step? Or another way to, to put it, to think about it, is what's the next pebble that you're going to pick up? And for some of you, it might be the first pebble you pick up. So one piece of encouragement I want to give you is the first pebble you pick up is definitely the hardest. It's the hardest. It is so hard to move uh, for the first time. It is so hard to go from being in a still state to movement. And then the next one becomes a little easier. And then the next one, a little easier, and so forth and so on. What's that next pebble that you're going to pick up? What's the first pebble you're going to pick up? The second thing is to follow in the shadow and be inspired by others who have gone before you. Read the works of Gandhi. Read the works of Dorothy Day. Read Martin Luther King. Read about Rosa Parks. Read about those who have gone before us and said, there is a better world ahead, and we're going to be a part of it. Read the letters from a Birmingham jail cell. Read that, those, read that letter, the letter from the Birmingham jail cell that... Uh, that Martin Luther King wrote. Because part of the reason why he wrote is because there were inactive people that he was calling to action. Be inspired by that. I love taking my kids down to Kelly Ingram Park where one of the, uh, like I said earlier, one of just a, a horrible, horrible day in our history happened where little kids and and men and women were being sprayed uh, with these um, high-power fire hoses, where dogs were being uh, sent on to attack men and women who were protesting peacefully, where, where scores of people were being thrown in jail cells unjustly, where people were being beaten with clubs by the people who are, spo- who are supposed to be protecting them. I love taking my kids down to that park. I love standing on the corner of that park and looking over at 16th Street Baptist Church where four little girls died because of hatred. I love taking them down there, not to scare them, but to inspire them. To say, look what people did. Look what people gave. Look what happened here. And look at the difference that it's made. 
be inspired by those stories. Be inspired by those words. Be inspired by the nonviolent nature of protest. Be inspired by those who have gone before us. And the only way you can do that is to expose yourself to them. Expose yourself to Dorothy Day. Expose yourself to Gandhi. Expose yourself to Martin Luther King. Expose yourself to, to people who are, who are modern versions of that, who are going out. Shane Claiborne is doing amazing work right now, protesting the death penalty. Reverend William Barber out of North Carolina is doing amazing work right now in our country. Listen to him. Listen to Shane. Listen to others who are out there going forth, who are on the forefront, leading us into a better tomorrow. Follow in their footsteps. Follow in their shadows. Be inspired from those in the past and those in the present. And know that your voice is one of the voices that can make a difference. And then lastly, permission slips. Now, I remember being a kid. I remember being a kid and uh, uh, coming home from school with a permission slip in my backpack. Because a permission slip meant that I was going somewhere. That I was going to get to do something. A new adventure. Something I haven't done before. That tomorrow was going to be different than today. I had an adventure awaiting me. And I would take that permission slip home. And I... uh, If I didn't do my homework, if I didn't study, if I didn't do anything else, I would get that permission slip signed. Because that permission slip was the gateway to a new adventure. And it took priority. So here's what I'm doing. I'm giving you a permission slip. I'm giving you the ability, the permission to take the next step to go on the adventure. And that's what it is. It's an adventure. It's an adventure when we make that next step. It's an adventure when we pick up that pebble. It is an adventure, a beautiful, good adventure, when we choose to take that next small, brave step. And a lot of times that's all we need is for someone to give us permission. For someone just to say, hey, you know what? You can do that. It doesn't matter what you do for your job. It doesn't matter what you do uh, in your life. It doesn't matter how many people are going to be angry at you. How many people are going to push back against you. None of those things matter because what you're doing is right. What you're doing is the next right thing. It's brave. It's small. And it is good. I had someone recently uh, ask me about um, writing, uh, blogging, uh, putting things like this out there. And they didn't really want me to. Uh, And they asked me, they said, do you really think it makes that big of a difference? I mean, do you really think sharing those things makes that big of a difference? And they were being serious. And I looked at him and I said, of course it does. I know for a fact it does. Because I hear from people every week 
who say thank you. Thank you for being a voice. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for writing. Thank you for being a Christian minister who speaks out, who says something. Thank you for being a person that I know. See, a lot of times my voice is not unique in terms of what I'm saying. Your voice, if you decide to make those small, brave steps, will probably not be unique in terms of the content uh, of what you're saying. But the thing about it is you are speaking from a unique context. You are speaking from a unique position, perspective. Uh, You've grown up around people. You have certain sets of friends and enemies. You stand in a unique place in the world. Every single one of you do. And so whenever you speak from your position, it is a profound uh, it is a profound position to speak from because every position, every place we stand, every context is unique. And so when you speak, you influence a sphere around you. See, and that's the reason why I know it makes a difference because I've had so many people who uh, email me or call me or text me, message me and say, thank you for saying that. Because I I hear those things on the radio. I hear those things on the news. I hear those things from big speeches or I read a a post from someone who I don't know uh, on the internet. But you're someone I know. I know you. I know your story. I know your family. I know where you stand. I know the context from which you come and I know the price you pay for saying the things you say. And because I know you, it makes a difference to me. And it gives me permission. It inspires me. I hear that from people almost every single week. And I'm not doing anything special. I'm not doing anything that's, uh, I'm not saying anything that's, that's terribly unique. But it makes a difference. And sometimes you have no clue the difference it's going to make or the difference it has make, it has made. You just have to speak from your perspective. So when that person asked me, do you really think it makes a difference? I said, yeah, I know it does. I know for a fact it does. And so when you have that small voice in your head saying, do you really think it's going to make a difference? Do you really think your voice matters? Let me be the first one to tell you, it does It does make a difference. It does matter. Your voice is unique. Your context is unique. Your sphere of influence is unique. It matters. If you ever question that, let me say it again. Your voice matters. Use it and wait and see what happens. Pick up that next pebble. Be inspired by those who have gone before us and those who are currently doing the good work in our midst. And take your permission and step into this wild, beautiful adventure that I truly believe God is calling us into. Friends, go and do good in your world today. 
and I'll see you soon.